0: Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Hebrews 11th chapter, the 6th verse. If you're following along in the Pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 1069. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. I'm excited about the collection that's just been taken. It's exciting to think how to bless lives, how it could change eternities, and how it'll bless many of our lives, too, also as a church family. Be praying about that work and about those, the, uh, the, the children around the world that are in need, and let's be mindful and refuse to put our head in the sand over the hurt and let's look to God for the answer and for the solution. We serve a great God, and let's serve Him with that greatness. Perspective is important. When you look at this picture here, you may think that you're seeing a man that is sitting upright reading a paper, and that there are a couple other guys leaning against a wall watching him read the paper. But if you'll notice, up in the top right-hand corner of that picture, there's a problem there. And so if we rotate this picture just a quarter of a turn, we realize that the man reading the paper is lying on his back. And the other two men are doing more of a stance, much like a a one-handed push-up. You see, when we begin to closely evaluate things, we can oftentimes realize that what we first thought was one way in reality is completely a different way. Our perspective on life is important, but especially this morning, I want you to think about our perspective on faith. When we look at Hebrews the 11th chapter and in verse six, when he says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. How important is faith? Without it, it is impossible to please God. Well, what kind of faith is God looking for? Is he looking for just any measure of faith? Just anything that we would throw out as if God is a beggar. And he's holding out a can and he's saying, just give me anything you want to give me. Well, we know from this passage that's not true, and especially when we look at all the other passages that speak of faith. But just from this passage alone, we learn that first we have to believe that God is if our faith is going to be correct. But then it goes beyond that. We also believe that there is a judgment. And on that judgment, He's going to reward those who, third, diligently seek Him. What's your perspective on faith? Is it a casual faith or is your faith built upon a diligent pursuit of God? Now, what do we mean by that? You probably have lost something lately, right? Have you looked for car keys lately? Have you looked for a misplaced credit card or checkbook? Or has there been something that you've been looking for and you need it right now? Think of the diligent search that you have. And at that point, you're not stopping in the room and evaluating what color you're going to paint the walls next time. You're not looking at a magazine or a newspaper laying by and saying, oh, I think I'll stop and read this right now. If you're in the midst of a diligent search, that's exactly what you're doing. You are focused upon what you are seeking. Now think of that, how it compares to a casual look. You know, when you walk through a mall and you're not really shopping for anything in particular, you're just what? I'm just looking. More of you women know about that than probably the guys. And, and what, what are you doing? Well, I'm just looking until what? I see something that pleases me. And once I see something that pleases me, I'm drawn to it. And I stop and I look at it and I think, no, oh, I want this. Isn't that interesting how that describes two different kinds of faith today? There are those that have devoted their life to diligently seeking God, and everything that they learn about God and His way is what has developed their faith. And then there are others that are just looking, and what they do is they listen to a sermon, and if there's something in that sermon they like about God, they form their faith based on that. And if they read a devotional and and they like something they read, if they listen to a download, if they talk with a friend, if they even just come up with a concept in their mind about God, if it's pleasing to them, they say, that's my God. That's my faith. What has formed your faith? With this in mind, I'd like for you to think with me today about mtd it's been talked about quite a bit in the last decade because we are learning that this is much more of what north americans practice in religion today than any other practice of religion and you say well what is it it's moralistic therapeutic deism you say well where in the world did that come from well it came from our fleshly nature But where the revelation of it came from was a gentleman named Christian Smith or Chris Smith. He was a distinguished professor at the University of North Carolina in the early 2000s and he received a a Lilly Endowment to do research on the national faith of our young people. And so he was not going to target a particular faith He was just going to survey and interview both of those, surveys and interview young people from all 50 states. And he's going to figure out what is their faith and what does it look like. Now he works for Harvard University. His research was eye-opening and much of what he wrote because the research was about young people revealed to us also probably what those young people's parents believe. And probably what a lot of those young people's churches actually practice. Probably they do not teach it out loud, but they probably practice it. And it is a moralistic, therapeutic, deistic approach to life and to religion and to faith. Now he explains, you'll never walk up to one of these young people and say, what's your religion? And their answer be moralistic therapeutic deism. But if you go below the surface and ask them about their faith and what they believe and how they live out their faith, you're going to find that most people in America that claim a belief in God, it doesn't matter if they're Islamic or if they practice Judaism or if they're Mormons or if they're part of of the Christian faiths put in quotations there, The answers are usually pretty much the same. Here are five tenets of their faith. In other words, five creeds. They don't have these written down anywhere, but if you get to the bottom of what they believe, here's what they believe. Number one, they believe that God exists who created and orders the world and watches over human life on earth. Number two, they believe God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and most all world religions. That would be a part of the moralistic part. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. That's the therapeutic. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when he is needed to resolve a problem. And that is not true deism, but that's the concept of where the word deism comes into this. Number five, good people go to heaven when they die. And that's the combination of the moralistic and the therapeutic put together. So what does this mean? Let's give a thought of of how he came to this conclusion and then see what we need to do today. Because the truth is there's probably a lot of people in this room that has a lot more of this going on in their life than a faith that's built on Jesus Christ. And today very well will be a day that some of you hopefully will look back and say, I started looking at my faith in an entirely different way than I ever looked at it, and I realized that my faith was based much more on a humanistic approach than upon Jesus Christ. Because you see what we're describing here that that people all across America, when they describe their faith, they're describing a faith that you can practice without Jesus. You don't have to have Jesus to believe any of the things that's just been said. As a matter of fact, most people today that call themselves Christians, when you ask them about their faith, they never mention the resurrected Lord. They never mention atonement or justification. They oftentimes will not even mention Jesus at all why because in america we have turned our faith into something completely different than a relationship that submits oneself totally to jesus let me give you a few quotes this is what one young man said as we think about what's right and what's wrong the moralistic approach how did he draw this conclusion which by the way the moralistic approach is the idea that all God wants of us is to be nice and kind So if you're a nice and kind person you're a good person and remember the fifth one and all good people go to heaven So that's why there's not really a great need for evangelism because almost everybody I know is a good person And why worry about it everybody's going to heaven anyway And then another thing about this moralistic approach when the interviews and all this is revealed Is that it has a lot to do with self-improvement in other words if I'm not good right now I'm working on it and when you go to the the bookstores today, you know one of the largest section in bookstores today 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 is self-improvement sections Because it's the idea that I've got to go out into the Secular world to find Improvement forgetting that the greatest Improvement we ever have is becoming a Spiritual person found and created Again in Jesus Christ Also in our society today That's placing such a great emphasis on on, uh, Physical fitness and Athletics this is very much becoming A part of what people today are identifying As moralistic good In other words, if you're healthy now, you've become a more moral person. And then also just the idea of success. Is also wrapped up in this. If you are considered among your peers as successful, now all of a sudden, some way you become a moral person. You become a good person just because you found out how to make money or just because you've got an achievement in the community or by some college or workplace or whatever. And so here's some quotes. A 17-year-old boy from Utah, he looked at his religion like this, his faith like this. He says, I believe in, well, my whole religion is where you try to be good. And uh, if you're not good, then you should just try to get better that's all. And for a lot of people, that's all. I I wake up every day to be good and I raise my children to be good. And that's why I bring them to church is ultimately, I just want them to be good. Okay. You don't need Jesus for that. If that's all we're doing is just trying to create a standard that says, if you do this and you don't do this, you can be a good person. Well, you don't need Jesus. You don't need atonement. You don't need redemption if that's all your faith and your religion is. A non-religious girl that believes in God, but non-religious from Maryland explained it this way. Morals play a large part in religion. Morals are good if they're healthy for society. See, there also is no standard in much of religion in America today of what is absolutely right. So when we talk about the good, and this is a second part of this is huge that we won't have time to develop this morning. But who gets to define the good? When all across America people are saying, God just wants me to be good, the, the interesting thing is very few of them allow God to define the good. And so when you put the moral therape- therapeutic together, the therapeutic is I need to feel good. So all of a sudden, whatever makes me feel good becomes moral. And, and maybe we can look at that just a little bit more later. And so she says, morals play A large part in religion, morals are good if they're healthy for society. So see, that's this new version of of what is the standard. Like Christianity, which is all I know, the values you get from like the Ten Commandments. I think every religion is important in its own respect. You know, if you're Muslim, then Islam is the way for you. If you're Jewish, well, that's great too. If you're a Christian, well, that's good for you. It's just whatever makes you feel good about you. So see, now in this one quote, she's moved from a moralistic mindset that society gets to decide what's moralistic, whatever we think is healthy for us. And then in this one quote, she moves over to the therapeutic part that says, and by the way, the reason you want to do good is because ultimately it makes you feel good. And that's what drives the faith in those that practice this particular faith Is the therapeutic as we look at this next slide we see a picture of perhaps a woman in some kind of of therapy and I just want to make mention at this point. I am not by any means putting a negative slant on individuals that are able to help other individuals or individuals that go and receive help from others. It's a wonderful thing when people can go and receive godly and Christian counseling. It's a wonderful thing when someone can guide someone in life to take steps closer to God. That's a wonderful thing. And so we're not by any means criticizing that in any way. But this is the idea that when people are looking for faith, how they live out their faith, the most common responses has to do with, I feel good when? And that becomes the standard of what is good based upon how it makes me feel. In other words, it is completely void of repentance. You remember repentance in 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, and verse 10. It begins with sorrow. Now think about it. Most people in America today have a faith that is built on feeling good, and the very first thing Jesus says is, I want your heart to break, I want you to deny yourself. I want you to have a sorrow that leads you to repentance. In other words, I'm asking you to not feel good about the sins you've committed in the past and to come to me based upon that. And today, the most probably common response is when people will justify how they've made a decision. They'll say, I know that God wants me to be happy. Recently, I had a guy to explain to me when I questioned him about his divorce and I questioned him about the woman that he was living with in complete seriousness as if there was nothing to try to explain. He said to me, when I listen, God knows that I was miserable in that marriage. And he knows that, and he called his lady that he's, living with, committing fornication with, adultery with. He calls her by name and he says, God knows that she makes me so happy. And David, I know this. I know God wants me to be happy. That's the religion today. That's the faith today. The idea that I get to set what is the morality and it is therapeutic. It is all determined on what I want. And so like we could go down that list in in 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. and, And when we read this list, I'd just like to read this list to you quickly. He gives a list in 1 Corinthians 6 beginning or in the middle of verse 9. He says, "Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, or extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. We go down that list and and what we learn in that list is we learn that God says those are sin. And you can't inherit the kingdom of God practicing those things. But see, that's not the faith that most people today that call themselves Christians have. The faith that most people have today that says, well, listen, I, I would think that adultery as a rule of thumb is a sin or homosexual as a rule of thumb may be a sin. But listen, for me, it's different. It makes me feel good, and I know that's what God wants. And so I am an exception in practicing this. And so therefore, we begin to justify. Here's what one 15-year-old explained. God is like someone who's always there for you. I don't know. It's like God is God. He's just like somebody that will always help you go through whatever you're going through. When I became a Christian, I was just praying, and it always made me feel better. A girl from Washington, she said, I guess for me, Judaism is more about how you live your life. Part of the guidelines are like how to live and I guess be happy with who you are. Because if you're out there helping someone, you're going to feel good about yourself, you know. Listen, it's wonderful when we pray and we feel good about praying. It's wonderful when we help and we serve someone and we feel good about helping them. But do you realize that should never be the standard of why we do good. We pray because we want a close communion and relationship with God. We serve others because of our God, not because of them and not even because of how it makes us feel. If we are true sacrificial servants, That means we are going to serve so much that many times it's uncomfortable. Many times it's a what? Sacrifice where we say right now I'd rather be doing this, but I know what God's will is for my life. And so I'm going to do this. And so therefore we don't at the moment feel better. But you see, that would be us forming a relationship with God and our faith is formed completely around God and not around this concept that God wants me to be happy. And so I pray when it makes me happy. I study the Bible when it makes me happy. I serve others when it makes me feel good. Listen, out of all of his study, this is probably the revealing fact of all revealing facts. It's a big statement. The primary life goal of most today in America that define their faith ultimately comes down to feel good and be happy. In other words, they may, that might not be the first words out of their mouth, but if you'll sit down and interview them for just 15 minutes, and you get beyond the surface of, do you believe in God? What's your faith in God? Very quickly Individuals in America will start talking about how they know that God wants them to be happy. It's really interesting when you think about how it's stripped out of the concept of faith, sanctification. The idea that we've been pulled out of of the world that is what? It's driven by desire and lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. What I look at and want, what I look at and desire, and what I want me, I want life to be about me. We've been sanctified by that, by Jesus Christ, and we've become a part of a kingdom that's what? It's all about the king. And it's us submitting to the king and saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. The third one is deism. Now, in the 18th century, there was a classic teaching of deism where it was the idea stating it very plainly here, but it's the idea that God created the earth and then totally stepped back from it. Now, Christian Smith says, I realize that I'm not using deism in its classical sense, but it is the idea that the most common belief in America today of those that call themselves Christians, the most common belief is that God created But he does step back. In other words, like they wouldn't believe in living a life like Paul lived when he said, I'm crucified with Christ nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Or like in Colossians 3 where he says, Christ who is my life. For most people today in America, their faith is more like God wants me to be happy So whenever I feel like I'm in a situation where I'm not happy, I can call on him and he will come and he'll answer my prayer so that I'll be happy. He will get involved in my life to make this happen so that it'll work out the way I want. But then the beauty is, once he's taken care of me, I can kind of send him back to the back of the room again and I'll just call on him if I need him later. Here's the way it would be said. A 15 year old boy from California said, God is like an entity that decides when, if he wants to intervene with a lot of things. To me, God is pretty much like intervention, like extreme luck. Say you're $50 away from something and you find $50 on the floor, then that's probably God intervening or something like that. But other than that, it just seems like he's monitoring. He's just kind of stays back and watches, like he's watching a, like we're, he's watching a play, like he's a producer. He makes the play all possible, and then he watches it. Now, if there's something he doesn't like, he changes it. One 14-year-old boy described it this way. Sure, I believe in God, and when I'm in trouble, I sometimes think about that. That is the idea that most today in America that claims a faith in God Their faith is in the idea that God wants me to be nice and good. And the beauty is I get to define what that is because it's whatever makes me happy. And I know ultimately that's what God is doing. He is doing everything in this universe to make me happy. Notice, I'm not a part of this kingdom where it's all about God and I'm serving God. It's that God has become a part of my kingdom and he's serving me. And the good thing is he's available. When I need him in my life, I invite him in, but then on Friday or Saturday night, if I want to go do whatever I want to do, he doesn't mind stepping in the back room and I do whatever I want to be doing. My God's fine with that. Here's a quote from Christian Smith. This God is not Trinitarian. This God is not demanding. He actually can't be since his job is to solve our problems and make people feel good and short. God is something like a combination divine butler, In other words, he's on call when you want him. You can send him back when you don't. And cosmic therapist, this really powerful individual that's supposed to make us feel good. He is always on call, takes care of any problem that arises, professionally helps his people to feel better about themselves and does not become too personally involved in their life. In other words, if you've ever wondered why over the last 10 or 15 years, no matter what church people go to in America today, most of them tend to be united. They can talk at work about their faith. They can talk about their religion. They can talk about what drives them in life. And unity exists. And you look at that and say, how can this be? It's like you guys totally have different faiths. Well, it only looks like different faiths on the surface. Below the surface, most people in America today believe the same thing. One of the great truths about people today in America is they cannot articulate the doctrine of the churches they attend. Why? Because their faith does not come from the practice of something. Their faith actually comes from within. What I learned today. Number one, I learned among a large number of people today who call themselves Christians, their actual faith has nothing to do With Jesus Christ. Number two, a large number of people today have a faith that is more centered on themselves than on God. Number three, Jesus didn't die for our sins so He could be our butler. I hope you'll come back tonight. Tonight, we're going to look into the Word of God. To see more about where true, godly, God given faith comes from. Are you listening? Ephesians 4 and 5 says there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. You and I can create our own version of faith, and it is a faith. But if we've created it ourselves it is not the one faith that is required of us if we are back to where we began today Hebrews 11:6 if we are to be well pleasing to God without faith it's impossible to please God what faith does he want he tells us in the scripture I've given you one faith that's what I want you to believe that's what I want you to practice that's what I want you to become When I studied this lesson, it has caused an uneasiness in me for several weeks now because the more I'm around people that claim to be Christians, the less I hear about Jesus and the more I hear about themselves feeling good. I beg you to come back tonight. Let's get deep into the Word of God. And let's make sure that we evaluate our own life and our own faith. We just might be a lot more humanistic than what we first thought, but it doesn't have to stay that way. Isn't it wonderful that God gives us the opportunity to repent? Isn't it wonderful that He gives us the opportunity to grow and to mature? Wherever we are today in our faith, the truth is we don't have to be here tomorrow. We can make a decision today to grow. We can make a decision today to turn toward God. And I hope that every one of us will do that. Isn't it interesting that the first place that Jesus began was he said, deny self, take up that cross and follow me. It is a sacrifice, but it's worth it. It's where we truly find a life that truly is worth living. Can we help you this morning in any way? We're all in this boat together, and that is we're trying to serve God and help each other and encourage each other so that we can spend an eternity together. And so if, if you're ready to be immersed into Christ for the mission of your sins, you're ready to be restored, maybe this morning you're, you just want further study, more prayer, if there's something that we can do individually with you. Look, we don't claim to have all the answers, but we do believe in God That does, and we believe that His holy book is a complete revelation to us that tells us everything we need to know about our faith. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.